you know, a dancer can be taking classes for a long time. They don't even know how to do a career. They don't know what's the starting point. They don't know if teaching a class a week will be the correct choice. They don't know when they are prepared. They don't know how should I market myself. They don't know how to put prices for their work. They don't know if to ask to their teacher because maybe their teacher doesn't think they are ready and then they, they start having this personal struggles with the mentors. So I think this is one of the main issues that we have in our dance. Welcome to Belly Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including belly dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories, secrets and tips with you. Hello guys, you're listening to Ballet Dance Live podcast and I'm super excited today to have on podcast amazing Valerique Molinari. And I was uh, waiting for a long time to invite her, but I know she had a recently busy schedule with her festival, so I think it's good timing now. But uh, before we dive into our conversation, I just want to quickly introduce and give some highlights about her because her then story is quite fascinating. And um, uh, one of the things that brought my attention a lot was that uh, in 2007, she spent six months studying in Madrid, where uh, she was dancing under the direction of some. Mara El-Hayat, and after her stay in Madrid, she also traveled to Morocco and Tunisia to be the part of uh, the encounter of Moorish studies with the University of Puerto Rico. And uh, later in September of 2009, she won the professional competition of the Miami Ballet Dance Convention. And after that, the year after, uh, also won the People's Choice Award and got the second place in a rock star professional competition produced by uh, Virginia Mendez. So I'm super excited to ho- have today uh, Valerique on the podcast and talk with her about all um, nuances and insights of ballet dance life. And um, to mention also that originally she is from Puerto Rico, but now she resides, teach and perform in uh, Miami. <laughs> so welcome to podcast, uh, Valerique. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, Yana. I'm very excited to be talking with you today. I know that just recently you had your festival, Lebanese Love Affair. Um, so tell us, uh, how did it go? <laughs> well, it went very good. It's a lot of hard work. Uh, this is the fourth time that I've been doing it uh, here in Miami. Uh, it's uh, kind of like a new stage for me as a dancer to be a producer. I started to do it four years ago, actually by mistake. Mm. It was nothing that I kind of like prepare myself to do it. I have had a lot of uh, years of experience producing and helping people to produce their own events. I have produced events in Puerto Rico that were basically a smaller scale. But uh, I started with the Lebanese Love Affair when my friend Simon Sarkis, who's a very famous also and a great uh, teacher and choreographer, he planned a tour for Pierre Haddad in the United States. And he told me, I think you should bring him to Miami since you're the only dancer here in the United States that have trained with him. And the day that he had available was actually St. Valentine's Day. And I was like, I, I don't know if I should take this risk. You know, how do I pull an event with an unknown teacher uh, for the belly dance community in the U.S., especially in St. Valentine's? And I decided to do it. <laughs> and it had a great response from the community. And from there, I decided that I was going to continue doing the event. I had a great support from the studio that I work in Miami that is called Belly to Apps. And you guys see me very actively promoting constantly on the social mm-hmm. media. So that's how it actually started the event. 
for me it was perfect because at the moment I was touring a lot and I was performing a lot so it actually helped me to see a different stage of my career where I didn't need it to depend so much on my body um, and to be honest Yana I enjoy it I enjoy producing events as much as I enjoy to perform. Mm. So I discover a new passion mm -hmm. um, with that mistake. Uh, I don't want to say that it was a mistake, but it was nothing that I was really achieving or looking for it. And, and I enjoy it a lot. And this past uh, two weeks ago, I finished the fourth one and I have my favorite dancer in the world and of all ages. And her name is Soraya Sayed, and, and it was great. Um, I'm doing an event that is a little bit different from the different formulas that are in the market right now. I try to do it as a, first as an intensive, where I actually wanted it advanced dancers like you and me to feel challenged. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want it to do competition. I wanted it to do something smaller but good mm. and suddenly has continued growing so now I'm really kind of like changing it to a festival because it's really transforming to a festival so we had a great time we had a great time and, and, and Miami is such a great city also for dancers to come and visit and do tourism and and it's it's a really relaxing and, and enjoyable experience Mm, I see. And the name uh, uh, Lebanese Love Affair, was it uh, just by accident because it was on the uh, first event was on uh, uh, St. Valentine's Day? <laughs> yes, actually the owner of the studio, which I, I consider her Adriana Echeverri, basically the founder of the Lebanese Love Affair, she used to have an event before that I think she called it Belly Dance Affair. Mm. Um, and then she suggested it to me why don't you call it the Lebanese love affair? And I thought that it was perfect because I actually wanted it for people to fall in love with the culture. So it worked very well. But at the beginning, it was basically to keep it with the theme of February, of St. Valentine's. Mm -hmm. I see. Uh, and another question again about the name. You, you sort of kept Lebanese love affair since the first event, uh, but... Uh, can you tell a little bit about your approach of balancing uh, how much of Lebanese style or does it have anything specific to do with Lebanese style or Egyptian style? Because I know following your dance uh, activities, you are a big lover of Egyptian style of ballet dance. So how oh. does those two things balance? And um, uh, so that people uh, hearing uh, the name of your festival, they sort of understand what, uh, what they're mm -hmm. going to for the next year, hopefully. <laughs> Yes, yes. I, my big love is, my first love was Egyptian style, of course, <laughs> like uh, many of us. So the first three events, I did focus on bringing teachers from Lebanon. So my first teacher was Pierre Haddad. The second one that I brought was Sami Houri, who's actually the choreographer for Karol Samaha nowadays. And the third one, I actually included the Egyptian element, which I brought uh, Mohamed Kassafi, and I brought Simon Sarkis. And actually, the third one, I call it Lebanese plus Egyptian love affair. <laughs> so I actually changed it. So that's a problem that I have because um, there's great artists in Lebanon, but there's issues with the visa. So I have to kind of like make the selection of the artists and... and I do make a personal selection with the artists of my event. There's people that I really believe in and that I have a kind of like a personal relationship with them. But it has been difficult because I, there's great artists there, but not, too, not, not all of them have their visas. Mm -hmm. And with the new change of the government, that has become kind of like really stressful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that's why I have decided to keep the name of the event even though the artists that even next year I'm bringing Esmeralda Colabone, they're not necessary uh, from a Lebanese background. But however, I want to keep the Lebanese as part of the dance scene because I feel the Lebanese artists have kind of like been forgotten in the market and Egyptian or Egyptian topic 
rules and and have more uh, notoriety in the belly dance industry nowadays. And for me, it was important so people could see that there's other styles, there's other teachers with different approaches that are very interesting and they're very, uh, it's, it's enjoyable to also learn from them. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree that uh, there is a uh too much focus and shift on uh, just one ballad and style these days and uh, people forget that there is mm -hmm. Lebanese, Turkish, Moroccan and like so many other aspects of uh, a ballad dance world uh, and it's uh, great to sometimes uh, uh, remind and uh, highlight some uh, uh, let's say less popular but less popular in certain yes. certain uh, Uh, circuits less popular because in Lebanon it's not less popular yeah. <laughs> just less popular in it's the yeah, world popular. the world today uh, but another question that I have in regards to this do you find any difficulties with promoting and getting people to your festival then it's not all about just popular Egyptian style well I actually think that was what worked <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I think that there were a lot of people that were interested in on, on other styles that they don't necessarily identify themselves with the uh, with the Egyptian style. And I think the reason why Pierre and Sami, these two teachers that were basically unknown for the dance community, did so well is because they were new. And I felt the community was really thirsty of new styles, of new ways of teaching, of new movements. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, there's a challenge because people don't know what to expect. And me as a producer, I just have to make them, uh, I have to do a, a very, I like to call it a hardcore promotion where I have to make people really uh, feel enthusiasm for, for the product, even though they haven't seen it or experimented. And that's uh big risk that I take, financial risk. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, at the same time, I think it worked very well that um, it's a new element for the market nowadays. The majority of the people here in the, specifically Miami, has a long Egyptian style tradition. Uh, we have great dancers here, but I, I would say that most of the teachers here nowadays uh, here in Miami, they do have a very Egyptian approach. Mm -hmm. So having this um, new style kind of like, I don't want to say revive because it has always been there, but kind of like get a little bit of notoriety uh, since the event, I think has been actually really look very, very, very good. I think people were looking for something different. I think... Uh, If you notice the events and I see the flyers, it's basically the same artist going to different cities. Basically, the, 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 the same cast mm -hmm. goes to the different... So I, I, I felt dancers were also in need to, to see other things. And I think the event has kind of like provide that window uh, for that lack of, um, of other styles that we have in the market here in the U.S., That's uh, really awesome to hear, awesome and surprising because I know a lot of uh, organizers and in my even in my own experience whenever you want to, to take a risk to promote something not that popular it's always a great risk and uh, yeah. you need to be a very smart uh, Uh, organizer and promoter to to engage and intrigue people yeah. to actually come and pay attention to something that they are not necessarily specifically looking for, but to show this is different, this is interesting. Yes. This is this is worth it exactly. And for me, with the first teacher that I brought, Pierre, I only had one video of mm. him teaching, <laughs> oh. one video, and I had to convince him for to let me record him in class because he didn't want it to be in film. So that was a big challenge for me. Like, how do I promote this artist without visual content, which is basically impossible nowadays because everything it's, it's about the videos. So it's, 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 it's very challenging. Yeah, but it's very challenging to talk even about dance if you don't want have something to show showcase as example it's extremely difficult to put dance into words <laughs> yes 
I have the doggies right now. Uh, which uh, which kind of dog is that? <laughs> is it he or she? <laughs> It's Sahi, Sahi, but I think... I think he agrees yes. with us. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a way for him, like, integrate into the conversation. Um, and for those people who are not very familiar with Lebanese style, although we just talked that it's very difficult uh, to describe dance in words, but can you put somehow in general description what would be difference between Lebanese ballad dance style and uh, Egyptian ballad dance style? There's this article about Amani of Lebanon that I think it's really interesting, where she says that there's no national uh, styles, like the way we have learned that there's no Turkish style, that there's no Egyptian style. Um, and she said that in a, in a recent article. And I kind of like agree and disagree with her in, in, in that sense. I do think that there's something that is called belly dance or rax belly or rax sharky, however you want to define it, that it's essential that it, everybody agrees on it. But I do feel that the social political differences in each country um, had an impact in the way we move and we project our body. In the case of Lebanon, I will say that some of the tendencies that I see uh, that I that I can see are very consistent in most of the Lebanese dancers. Uh, I will say the use of heels. I don't see too many dancers dancing there without heels. I think Amelia mm -hmm. is a Canadian dancer that I have seen dancing without heels there, uh, but not too many of them. I do feel they kind of have very powerful entrances with a lot of turns, um, a lot of hair tosses, even though these tendencies, now I see them a lot in the Egyptian scene. Uh, so I would not like to say that they're strictly uh, from Lebanese style. Um, so other things that I like to think, there's a lot of, uh, when it comes to the, hip drop or the hip work, I do feel that Egyptian style has, like I say, these are like observations. These are my observations. I'm not saying that this is a definitive way to define the style, but mm -hmm. I see that on the Egyptian style, there's a lot of drops. Everything kind of like goes to the floor. The hip goes immediately, it's accentuating down. The hip drop, mm -hmm. the pelvis talk, It's heavy, and I think in the case of Lebanese style, from my own observation, I see the opposite. I see a lot of energy going up, a, a lot of hip lift, a lot of hip lift. Um, and something that I do enjoy a lot when I see Lebanese dancers is the overuse of the arms and hands, mm -hmm. which in the case, if you like to think about dancers like... Um, I don't want to say Suhair because Suhair Asaki, she uses a lot her hands. But we, we can see many of them nowadays dancers, they tend to be a little bit more subtle with their hand movement. Um, and I like to think about Randa in this case. Randa has very rigid arms, uh, but you don't see her going uh, too crazy with hand circles like I've seen uh, some of the Lebanese dancers. Mm. So I will say that between the hip work, it's a little bit more heavy and earthy in the Egyptian style. Uh, there's a lot of turns and I will say more westernized movements I've seen on the Lebanese style, like uh, splits, mm -hmm. this floor work, this is something that has always been characterized by them. Um, that are not necessarily so, uh, you don't see them so often on Egyptian dancers. Mm -hmm. Oh, I really love uh, your observation about the hips, like when we were telling about energy down or up, mm -hmm. like right away I had in my mind uh, this video and this video and this video, and yes. then I'm like, oh, really? That's really like... Uh... It is so. It's very interesting. Although the visually, the movement may seem to be the same, but it's not real. Then you take a yes. closer look. Yeah. Yes. 
And yes. with arms, with arms uh, too, I guess we can sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, put it as uh, one style more uses arms as a framing and another actually use arm movements. Yes. Because I remember yes. even in my practice and I was training, uh, taking some private classes with um, uh, Egyptian teachers or dancers who perform uh, in Egyptian style, they very often... Uh, uh, corrected, like, oh, use, uh, like, don't put too many arm, like, movements, because I, I yes. borrow my from Persian style, and Persian style is all about arm movements, so they're like, no, it's not Egyptian. <laughs> There's uh, a school of that, of that yeah. style, and I mm -hmm. noticed that, I, I would like to say that more in the contemporary dancing, you, you see actually less, the, less arm movements on the Egyptian style. Mm -hmm. um, it's, everything is more subtle. I like to think that Maybe Mamurreda has something to do with it, the Reda style. They tend to have um, really quiet arms. Mm. Um, if you compare it to a person like a dancer like Nadia Gamal, that used to be really dramatic with her movement. And even the dancer from the golden era, like Tahella and Samia, they were, they were really wild yeah. with those arm movements. Um, so I like to say that maybe with that... Um, Mamurreda adding more Western elements, maybe that has something to do with it. Hmm. Yeah, possibly. Uh, another um, uh, five cents to add, like I remember one teacher saying me, actually defining why to use less arms, was that arm movements are not sexy. <laughs> Oh, and wow. the Egyptians, yeah, I don't know, it's just her, was, uh, Appreciation. her interpretation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the arm movements, they are framing the hips or body movements. They are more uh, sexy uh, movements. Mm -hmm. And uh, the current Egyptian style, it tends towards more like sexy appeal, let's say. But again, it was just one, I remember now, memory, like why, why no arm movements yes, <laughs> in yes, that class yes, yes, was yes. not allowed. Um, That's interesting. Uh, another very interesting part of your event, uh, I know you had a panel discussion. Oh my God, that with, uh, was top amazing. performers. <laughs> yes, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Because uh, I saw it from your post on Instagram, but I definitely know not everyone uh, knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, so we had a panel discussion with the top leaders of our community. Um, it was the first time that we kind of like put them together to discuss the topic longevity in a dancer's career. So because I am going to be 32 this year, I am getting very concerned about my dance path and the different stages that comes uh, in life and how those are, that affect your dancer's career. Mm -hmm. So I had two of the owners of two of the belly dance studios here in Miami. I have Portia Lange, which is the owner of Belly Emotions. I have Adriana Echeverri, which is the owner of uh, Belly Two Apps. I have Amara Said, which is the director of Azar Dance Ensemble. I have Hanan, which is actually the filmmaker of Havana Habibi, and she, uh, she runs two nonprofits. I have myself as a person that is in the international uh, teaching circuit, and I have Francesca Sahar that is, I believe, the, the dancer that has been teaching here uh, for the longest time. Um, and she has gone through different stages, so she knows this community very well. So it was very interesting to have uh, a conversation about the different paths that you can take to develop your dance career. So I feel many dancers like me, they were very in love that they wanted it to be international dance stars. That's what I wanted it to be since I was 13. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted it to travel and dance, right? For, but that not necessarily is going to be an easy path for everybody. And it wasn't an easy one for me, but the reality is that it's difficult. And, and not everybody's able to make it. Then you have a, a dancer like um, Hanan, which she went more into the academic path because she didn't fit that commercial uh, idea of belly dance. She didn't like it. She had 
more profound and depth things to say, but she realized that average audience was not for her. So that's why she moved more to the university. And that's how she has created this big event that is called the Havana Habibi Festival, which is, this woman has been going to Cuba for about 13 years, teaching these Cuban ladies how to dance belly dance, and now they have mm. schools, and this has all has been her work. So instead of Hanan going and do five competitions and, and try to be this mega star of the dance, she decided to do a work that it's more uh, towards social justice. So you have a different path there. Then you have Adriana Echeverri, which she decided to be a producer and a dance studio owner. And she, mm -hmm. her studio, Ballet to Apps, is basically a collective of the top dancers in Miami. So she decided to stay more behind the scenes. But at the same time, it's a, a, it's a way to extend her dance career because maybe she's not going to be dancing too much, but she's managing. And that's mm -hmm. important also because we need somebody that could actually maintain these dance spaces open because mm -hmm. dance studios are probably the most difficult businesses, I believe, in the art scene. Uh, and now with the evolution of the Internet, they are really struggling Uh, because everybody can take a dance class now through the internet. They don't necessarily need to go to a studio. Uh, so you have her reality. We also have Amara Sayid, which she teaches in the university. Mm. So once you are in the university, you have access to young people. You have access to do a more um, kind of like a more academic program that is not necessarily the same one that you will do in a more commercial field or where you're trying to target a general audience. Um, and then you also have the experience of Francesca, which she has a professional career. She works actually for insurance companies, but she has her belly dance career. And for me, she's a perfect example of somebody that has a professional career outside the belly dance scene, but that professional career allows her also to continue a dance career. And me, as a person that is the working dancer, then I also have other challenges because my dance, it's my, my, my work. <laughs> I don't have that second income coming in. So yes, it's great, but it comes with a lot of challenges too. So we have this discussion with the with all these fabulous women, and we come to different realities and we show them to the students. Uh, we're about to share an article that we have that is kind of like a summary of everything that we discuss, and I think it's going to be very beneficial for the community uh, in general and for those dancers that, you know, they want to have a dance career but they don't really don't know how to start. Uh, the panel discussion was a great way for them to position themselves and identify themselves also with the speakers. So we had a, a, a really nice conversation in the panel discussion. That's uh, really amazing to have such a lineup of speakers who are willing to share so many different aspects of uh, ballet dance life and uh, uh, different ways and paths of ballet dance career. Uh, I think, oh, I wish I was there. <laughs> No, 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 it was very good, but we're going to publish the article very soon. So I'll make sure I send it to you so, you so you can hear, you can read a little bit of what happened. Yeah, once it's published, I definitely will add a link to show notes that everyone can uh, go and uh, get it. But uh, uh, talking a little bit more about this panel discussion, which uh, topics or kind of questions uh, you found the most asked or that dancer were the most hungry for answers <laughs> in terms of ballet dance I career? I think where to start, mm -hmm. you know, we dancers, because of, I think, the same pedagogy of the dance, uh, we, you know, a dancer can be taking classes for a long time. They don't even know how to do a career. They don't, they don't know what's the starting point. They don't know if teaching a class a week, uh, will be the correct choice. They don't know when they are prepared. They don't know um, 
how should I market myself? Uh, they don't know how to put prices for their work. They don't know if to ask to their teacher because maybe their teacher doesn't think they are ready and then they, they start having this uh, um, struggle, personal struggles with the mentors. Mm. So I think this is one of the main issues that we have in our dance. For example, if you compare it to ballet, in ballet, you, you, you do your courses and then you go to, in, in Puerto Rico, we used to call it a, 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 a stage where you are, they call it taller, which is means pre-company level, where you're training, training, training. To, when you finally get to be part of a company, then there's when you get paid. But basically, the entire institution helps you to take those steps. Right. In the case of belly dance, because I think it's so focused also in the soloist career, it's very difficult for dancers to know when it's the correct moment for them to start flying by themselves. Uh, so I believe that was a very difficult question to answer. Um, and many of us have our different stories. Uh, but I think that's, that, that many of the girls, that was what they didn't knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do I maintain myself once I started? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, that has a lot to do with the personality of the person. That's something that we, we, uh, we agree that the, the, the panelists that were there, we were very driven. And that has a lot to do with it you know you can't get frustrated because you lost the first competition of because you didn't do a good job with this performance in this festival and then just drop the ball you have to really be a warrior um so i think that's that's one of the main um doubts and questions that dancers have is they don't they don't really know how to start a career <laughs> they don't know what's the starting point they don't know what's the first uh uh, what's the first move to do in this case? I, I love the, the 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 response of Hanan to this question because she said, you know, I wanted to do art. I needed to study art, so I went to college to study art. So for her, she really found a way in the university to create her own structure. It is also good to remind you that everyone will have their own story and their own path depending on uh, what goal they have because some may want to go into teaching, some may want to go into ballet dance uh, like festivals, some may want just to go exactly. perform at local, uh, uh, some local gigs and even for the same goal, like each person will have different different uh, ways uh, and stories. So talking about your own uh, experience and your own story, you mentioned that already at 13 uh, years old, you knew that you want to travel and uh, perform internationally. So can you tell us a little bit about your own story and how you get started into this world of professional ballet dance life? <laughs> well, I was one of the lucky ones that met this dance when I was 13. I was in a summer camp, in a summer dance camp. Mm-hmm. And they offer a belly dance class as part of the dance curriculum. And I fell in love. I fell in love like deeply. And at the moment, my mom told me, you have to make a decision between the jazz and ballet classes or belly dance because I can't afford the three of them. Mm. So I told her I want to stay with belly dance for sure. And uh, my teacher was very strict. Her name is Sandra Barreras, also known as Zaina. Very, very, very strict. And she put a lot of effort on teaching me the correct technique. She was a great technician. And at the moment, she used to train a lot with Tamalin Dalal and Suheila Salimpur. So uh, she was really into the scene. And she was traveling constantly to the United States to train. And then when I was 15, check this out. She invited me to come to Miami to do a training with her. Mm. And we came at, at the moment to the studio of Tamalin Dalal here, that it was called Middle Eastern Dance Exchange. And uh, later, I think uh, two years later, I was already like 16 or 17, we went to Orlando for a 
an event of Andrea, which Andrea, it's now what she organized the event, uh, Belly Dance Masters. And that's where I took classes with Virginia and Amir Taleb. Um, I remember Aziza of Montreal was there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this artist, <laughs> what a cool job, man, to travel and just teach belly dance and teach your passion. So from that moment, I realized that I wanted it to be a touring instructor. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to teach international since I was 15 years old. And then um, my teacher told me, well, if you want to continue, you have to train very hard if you want to get to that level of expertise. And she told me, you have to go to New York and go to the uh, Sharif uh, Wicklongs. Mm -hmm. And this is when Nurhan and Yustri were together and they were organizing the New York Wicklongs. And the New York Wicklongs were a great space for me to develop and train. The New York Wicklongs used to be an entire week of training where Nurhan and Yusri, they brought the best Egyptian Arab artists uh, from, from Cairo. And it gave me the opportunity to train with Mamurreda, with Nervin. They were the first one to brought Tito. You know, this was like long time ago. Um, and that event gave me a lot of notoriety before I started the competition circuit. Because most of the professional dancers will come to that event, a lot of uh, uh, owners of schools. And I was 18, 17 years old when I was going there. Mm -hmm. um, so I started to get to, to do networking from that week long in New York that I've been going since I was 18 years old. Um, and that's how I actually got my first contracts. My first contracts were Mexico and Dominican Republic and were, uh, I was booked by, by people that were part of that week long. Oh, I see. <laughs> that they saw me there and they were like, wow, you were very young, very talented. We're going to keep an eye on you. And those are relationships that I built from that moment. Um, so that's how I actually started. Mm. Um, so it was a nice journey. It, was a, it has been a beautiful journey, but it has come with a lot of challenges. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Uh, I actually was about to ask uh, what was your first uh, invitation to perform and teach international, but you already yeah. answered it. Uh, but how long for um, how long did it take till you sort of set up a goal, or even from the time you started doing ballet dance to your first uh, invitation or of actually going to perform? Do you remember more? Or less? I did MBC Miami Ballet Dance Convention when I had already ten years of experience. And with that came the invitation to Texas. So I would say that I had already like 11 to mm. 12 years of experience when I got my, my, my first uh, international contract or however you want to call it, invitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's not only 11, 12 years of experience, it's very um, experience towards the goal already because uh, you set up your goal yeah. very early so it's a uh, i was curious to go into such details because i feel a lot of new dancers this day they expect it's gonna happen uh, quick and easy <laughs> uh, and they just oh, decide no. yeah and they just start doing ballet dance for five a few years and then they decide oh i want to go into professional career and there is expectation that it has to be right away once they decide not sometimes understanding that it's years and years of practice already with oriented practice towards your goals, whatever they are. <laughs> no, 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 it's difficult. It takes time. Um, and even for me, I, sometimes I say to students when they try to do a professional category and they only been dancing for three years, I'm the first one that <laughs> says, no, <laughs> like it's still, you still need to work a little bit more. Um, so for me, yes, I've been, it was 12 years of, and this is very important. I didn't stop training. I have mm -hmm. never stopped. <laughs> In all these years, I have danced every week of my life since I started to do belly dance. I have never took a break. I have never took not even like a, 
six month break. I have never, I have never stopped moving since, since I started my first belly dance class. Um, and I think that consistency, and I still say it, it's very important. True. Uh, one of my uh, teachers, former teachers, he was saying uh, that dancer can either uh, evolve or degrade. Mm-hmm. I'm translating from Russian, so I'm like, yeah. is it degrade the English word? But I think so. So uh, the point was there is no middle middle point. You can't be the same level. You're either working to yes. improve your skills, or if you're not working on improving the skills, meaning yeah. your skills goes down. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. But I also know that in, uh, um, except of um, along with international travels, you also perform uh, locally in Miami from time to time. I don't know if it's on a regular basis. Weekly, weekly. I perform weekly in different restaurants. I'm part of a company that is called Your Squisite Entertainment, that it's directed by Vanessa Romero. And Vanessa is a fabulous dancer from Miami that she's lucky enough that many of the owners of the restaurant trust her work. And she has decided to uh, shoot mm-hmm. some of the top dancers here in Miami. And she do the schedule for us for different restaurants. And we're very happy to be working with her. So as a working dancer, I teach weekly and I perform also in the weekends in different restaurants in the South Florida area. And uh, getting into, uh, let's say, local commercial dance world, was it something that happened just naturally or was it one of your goals that you were working towards too? No, I, I guess something that happened naturally, the first one that connected me was Amida, which is a student of Virginia, and I have met her from the workshop circuit. So when I got to Miami, she contacted me and she's like, Valerica, I do the days for this restaurant. I think you will be great. So she invited me Mm -hmm. and then Vanessa invited me too. So yes, I wanted to work on the restaurant, but I think uh, it it did really happen very naturally, to be honest. And for those dancers, because I know a lot of uh, uh, performers, they want to start performing and maybe not on international stages right away, but at least at their local uh, venues. And uh, many of them don't really know how to start. So seeing already this world from inside, Mm -hmm. all in your case, uh, you started like more natural through connections, but seeing this world still for this many years from inside, what would be your advice first, how for performer to uh, identify if she is ready or not to present herself as a professional balladance performer? And if she is ready, how, where to start? <laughs> yeah, I think it's very important to recognize the leaders of your community. If you're going to go and you want to ask or you want to work in this restaurant, you have to contact the dancer that is working there because, of course, this is somebody that is making a living, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's when, you know, this is why some people don't understand. And this is why maybe somebody could get offended if you go to somebody else's work to get get a work, you know. Mm -hmm. You have to be very respectful with your colleagues. As an outsider from this community, I let my, the dancers of South Florida, South Florida, let me know how, what were the ethics of this community? Mm. Okay. So I think that was a very important factor that I do consider Amida, which is the person that takes charge of the restaurant Marouche, and she's a dancer, and Vanessa are great about it. They are open to receive any dancer that wants to work, but they tell them exactly the rules. They tell them we don't undercut. They tell them this is how much we charge. You should not be charging less than this. You should finish your work and get paid immediately. Do not allow that they tell you that you can come tomorrow. So they have very strong uh, rules and ethics about working. So... I think a great idea is to find these leaders in your community and let them mentor you. Mm-hmm. Because in our case, I feel that we work very good the gigging 
here in the restaurants, I, I do feel that uh, I am blessed to have the colleagues that I have because we support each other so much. Mm. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, yeah, we, we talk. If we know that there's a dancer that undercut, we go to them not to threaten them, to tell them why this is wrong and how can we help her. Mm. And I think this is very important. So my recommendation to any new dancer that wants to work in the entertainment business, meaning restaurants, I would recommend them to go and contact the dancer that is managing there, tell them their concerns, and try to get a mentor that could help them uh, achieve that, that, that work. But you have to also show respect for the working dancers that are already uh, working there. Because uh, for me, I am making a living out of those restaurant gigs. Um, so it's a delicate situation, but if we all support each other, uh, it could be really beneficial for everybody. Wow, I'm so glad you brought up this uh, topic about uh, having more supportive community because I found the dances sometimes, or in some cases very often, <laughs> treat each other more as uh, competitors and that they need to sort of divide this uh, pie and try to get the biggest uh, piece of the pie for themselves instead of thinking that yes. if we start collaborating, we actually can grow and bake the bigger pie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And we support each other a lot in that sense. Uh, and I, I'm very happy of, of these ladies uh, and the way they, they, one of us get a, a restaurant gig and we just give it to each other. <laughs> mm. uh, so we are, I, I do feel here in the area of Miami, I am very happy with the work that we have done um, when it comes to the restaurant scene. I love them all, and, and, and I think we're very respectful with the work of everybody. Mm, that's really amazing to, to hear. And I also like your take on the uh, problem of undercutting, that instead of, uh, um, let's say, feeling aggressive towards dancers who undercut, go opposite and try to talk to them and uh, offer them help because uh, sometimes people do it without understanding that they actually harm not only the community exactly. itself, they harm themselves too. Exactly. Because they, can, exactly. they could have got much more out of their work and energy. Exactly, exactly. I think that's one of the biggest issues that they don't understand that it's very difficult to bring the value up once you bring it down. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible. Another thing that I notice many dancers have an issue with is promoting themselves or promoting, I would say, their services. Why do you think uh, uh, mm -hmm. this happens? And if you notice that mm -hmm. if this happens in Miami too, because I just talk from my experience and my observations, but maybe, uh, maybe um, do, do you feel that dancers have problems mm. with treating their art also as a business and necessity of promoting themselves if they want to work there in this field? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, promoting yourself, you're trying to be a working dancer is a must. It's not something that you just put on the, it's something that has to become a priority. If you want to be a working dancer, promoting yourself means that you care that your work, it's seen and value and that you care that people see your work that's all you do when you're promoting yourself mm. you just want to make sure that all that time that you rehearse all that money that you spend on workshops you could actually exhibit you can actually show it if you don't promote yourself then you just don't care as simple as that, I don't, I just mm. see it like, I, I think that's a very lame excuse of saying, oh, I don't, I just don't like to promote myself, I please. <laughs> like, why are you even mm. dancing? <laughs> like, like and, and now with the platforms that we have with the social media, it's incredible how easy is this compared to before where you have yeah, to, you know, print 5,000 flyers and you don't even know where they will finish. <laughs> um, so I think uh, this issue of promoting yourself, you know, I, I opened Facebook when I moved to Spain. 
when I was doing this internship that you talk about the beginning of the of the podcast. And I used Facebook in the beginning to let my parents know where I was that day in Spain or what I was doing. <laughs> so for me, I kind of created the habit of using Facebook every day uh, to say what I was doing. So for me, it's very natural. It's very easy to promote mm -hmm. my classes. And basically, that's all that I, all, all I do. I promote very little about my personal life. Uh, on, on my Facebook, my Facebook has uh, the purpose of, it's a business page. Um, so mm -hmm. for me, promoting yourself, and I know that for many people it's difficult, I try to bring my creative process to the promoting and marketing of my art uh, by either I get very involved in the graphic design Uh, experience. I enjoy it a lot. Um, and I learn a lot through the marketing. Um, yeah, you have to promote yourself. There's no other option. I don't think you need a manager. I don't think you need, you know, you just have to do it. You have to do it. Yeah, I guess also the uh, pain point on this is that uh, dance is so connected to our own bodies that people sometimes don't differentiate that they're By we're using all the phrase, oh, we are promoting, promote yourself, promote yourself. But by this, we actually mean promote your dance services in this case. Yes. And uh, yes. like all the struggles get from misinterpreting this phrase, promote yourself, as if you are literally promoting yourself as a person. And it may yeah. sound shallow or something like that. But we're actually talking about dance services or dance performance and uh, it also brings to another uh, issue that uh, pricing is very painful sometimes because both uh, ways how to price uh, because we kind of don't really differentiate okay this is a dance service and this needs to be done for this performance to be uh, created or to be done uh, not considering that we have some expenses and not maybe sometimes actual yes. expenses but even time or energy expenses that we are as a let's say if we were employees in the company we were compensated for yes. this <laughs> but in the dance world we sort of just think about very minimalistic uh, requirements for for mm -hmm. dance performance that needs to to happen and at the same time whenever someone is trying to negotiate pricing we also don't really differentiate often that This person is actually talking about dance services, but we take it too personal sometimes as if we, we are talking about price for ourselves, <laughs> you know? Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. I, I agree totally with everything you said. Uh, and one more uh, question that I was really curious to ask is that you are both international performer, performing often at uh, different events in all over the countries, performing on big stages. And at the same time, you also perform locally in the restaurants. And one of the tendencies that mm -hmm. I um, keep seeing uh, talking to dancers who are more into festival world, that they treat restaurant gigs um, as sort of less prestige, but more often less complicated as stage performances and usually i mm -hmm. hear it from dancers who i feel they don't really have much experience in the restaurant gigs world uh so yeah you as a performer successful performer on both arenas uh how what's your uh, opinion on it and uh, what's your approach and differences or similarities between these two two fields <laughs> restaurants are the number one place to promote this art form in the u.s hmm. i see it as a way to show the audience the real thing in a really respectful way i enjoy it a lot i've been performing in restaurants since i was 18 years old so for me it's a weird friday or saturday if i don't perform um and i do enjoy it and i think it's difficult to be a restaurant dancer i don't think it's as easy as people uh like to think about it and i don't think it's less prestige uh, we are blessed uh here in miami to make a really good living 
doing a 20 minute show in a restaurant. It's, it's unbelievable that you with 20 minutes, of course it requires for those 20 minutes requires years of experience, but compared to a farmer, we are really making a good amount of money for the little time that we're performing. I think this is a perfect place for me to get students to promote my festival uh, and, and, and to keep my practice. I, I, I hate that people see in, in a demeaning way the restaurant dancers uh, because um, I do feel they make a lot of people fell in love with the art of belly dance. Um, and a lot of people come to class because they saw a dancer and they fell in love with her performance. So I enjoy a lot the festival uh, circuit because, of course, I'm dancing for belly nerds and, and people can understand my work differently. But I felt with a lot of pressure, too, because uh, dancers, dancing for dancers are probably the most scariest audience ever mm. um, because they know they are not necessarily all the time the most... Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say supportive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You can be doing the drum solo of your life and they're not even clapping. They're just being very, uh, they're, they're, they're watching, uh, they're trying to pay attention to every detail. So they don't necessarily are thinking about giving you that energy back because they are just trying to be very analytical mm-hmm. about what you're doing on stage. And the people from the restaurant, they're just looking to celebrate their birthday. You know, they're just looking for you to bring their friend up to dance and, mm-hmm. and make a fool of himself. And um, I am happy to know that I am part of those personalized experiences of people. I love and I have found myself crying when I'm celebrating an 80-year-old birthday and the entire family is just there. And then you're going to be in the pictures of the family forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a beautiful job. I don't, I, I do love it. To be honest, I do love it. For me, it's going to be very difficult when I get to that transition where I feel it's time to stop working in the restaurants. Um, but uh, for me, it has been a learning experience. It's practice. Um, and and I, I really enjoy it a lot. Well, I'm sure many, many more years and many more families will uh, see your know, great dance performance at their events before that transition happens. Um, but um, uh, I do do feel you in many ways. Like I agree that bringing happiness to someone's celebrations is a great job. And uh, but at the same time, there are uh, stages and. Uh, um, for each for each uh, each part of dance uh, career <laughs> yes uh, and i think it, it's good there's some dancers that are great on stage mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily good entertaining audiences right you know there's two different mm-hmm. type of performances and it's fine you don't need to be perfect in all of them uh but at the same time it's difficult to entertain people it's not uh It's not easy, especially when it's people that they don't know anything <laughs> about it. Yes. Uh, true. Well, before I ask our final signature question or the podcast, uh, can you tell us, please, um, where people can uh, find uh, find you and what's the easiest uh, uh, media to follow your dance activities as well as uh, any upcoming trips or projects that you would like to share with us here today? <laughs> Well, my next project is the Havana Habibi Festival, which I highly recommend you to go to HavanaHabibi.com and check a little bit about it. This is the, 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 the project of Tiffany Hanan Madera. Uh, it's a beautiful festival that this is the second year we're doing in Cuba, uh, but we're going to be doing, she's going to be doing more, more events in Miami too. So I highly recommend you to go and see the amazing work these women have been making in Cuba and get a little bit in touch with her work because I think it's fascinating. And we're going to be going to Cuba from April 19 to the 22nd. Um, then after that, uh, I'll probably be in the Gulf Coast Festival with Simon Sarkis. 
and this is an amazing event in the in in Houston that has been going for a while and then um I'm resuming my Skype classes and I'm trying to do more work on the internet. Um, mm -hmm. So in the summer, I'll be in Asia again, in Japan and Korea. Then I come back to Miami and then I have, there's this girl that is doing, this lady, Robin Romero. She's doing the first festival in Nicaragua. Mm. Um, so I'm very excited. And we're going with Tamalin Dalal, so I'm, I'm excited to see how she's, she's trying to bring something to her country. And then also I, I'm back to Latin America in September to in Chile uh, for the Festival of Dan Amar. So I have a lot of um, Latin American countries this year. I'm very, 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 very excited for that because I'm a Spanish speaker. I, I, that's my first language, so I feel very comfortable teaching in that language, and I don't get to do it so often. Um, but if you want to follow my work, I have decided not to use a web page anymore because my Facebook and my Instagram, I feel, work mm -hmm. more effectively. So you guys can find me on Instagram, valerik23, V-A-L-E-R-I-C-K-2-3, or in Facebook at Valeric Molinari, and I have two pages, my personal page, Valeric Molinari, and Valeric Molinari Belly Dance Artist. And in both of them, I'm very active, uh, and you can see everything that I am doing. And if you come to Miami, teaching regular classes at Belly to Apps, so everybody can contact me, and I can tell you the schedule of the classes, and you guys can come to my shows also. I'll definitely add all uh, uh, links uh... Uh, to the show notes so for people it, it will be easier to find you um, and uh, mm -hmm. follow on uh, social media so our final question on the podcast that I always ask all uh, guests uh, regardless of which topic we were talking uh, or focused more during the uh, conversation um, and the question is uh, quite simple and for not really depends on the uh, how deep you want to go into it, but I love uh, hearing different uh, aspects and different uh, replies to it. So, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again, so that you keep doing it for so many years? <laughs> Oof, it's my way of living, mm. and um, wow, that's a very deep question. It's my way of living. It's what I fell in love with, but I think it made me fall in love more with my women nature. Um, and I have always said, because as when somebody that met this dance so young, I grew up as a woman with this dance. And um, this dance, it's so attached to my personal experience. I see my performances and I know what I was going through and I know what I moved that way. So for me, it is a way of expressing my nature um, that I'm allowed to do it in such a natural and honest way that not even the spoken word allow me to do it. Um, mm. And I do feel that movement comes before the spoken word and somehow this vocabulary of movement has allowed me to really speak about myself and about the world in a different way that I don't even care, I can't even do it with language. And I think that has a lot to do with my uh, relationship with the dance. Um, and with learning different things, it just showed me different ways of understanding my nature, understanding human nature, and loving more human nature. Um, for me, this dance has been a way to connect with a different culture, to connect with different people and um, accept them exactly how they are. Mm. That's what I will say uh, is what this dance has actually shown me. And this is why I defend it so much. So I'll, I'll leave it with that note. <laughs> mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. 
Thank you so much uh, for uh, joining us today on the podcast and sharing your experience and story and opinions with uh, dancers. I'm pretty sure many of them has uh, found uh, a lot of answers to their questions <laughs> on different topics. And it was also great to hear about uh, uh, ballet dance community in Miami and uh, uh, what you do with your festival. It's really fascinating. And uh, good luck with your upcoming uh, projects, trips. Uh, Thank uh, you. <laughs> Thank you. And I congratulate you because this is an awesome way to document the artists, uh, the life and the work of different artists. So... Uh, I, I congratulate you because this is a great platform. It's a great, great, great platform and your questions are on point. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I'm very glad to have around uh, uh, me so many uh, supportive dancers who are willing to share their experience uh, and um, uh, give a little insights into the ballet dance world that we often don't see on social media. That's uh, really amazing that uh, so many artists are uh, agreed and willing to to come and share and then you are one of them. So thank you. Thank you once again. <laughs> oh, the pleasure is mine. Guys, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes at yanadance.com slash podcast. As well as you can connect with me on social media by Yana Dance or Yana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcasts so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.